Welcome to the Early Childhood On The Go podcast, where the Early Childhood Center team shares ideas and strategies for professionals and families. Dream big, start early. Welcome to this episode of Early Childhood On The Go podcast. I'm Kayla O'Neill, and today we're recording live from the Early Childhood Center at the Indiana Institute on Disability and Community in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm so happy to have Carissa here. We're going to be talking all about how to support parents' mental health um, as, as a service coordinator. So welcome, Carissa, and we're so happy to have you here. Great. Thanks for having me. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I've worked in the early intervention field for about 12 years, uh, 10 years of that as a service coordinator and a supervisor for First Steps. I have also have two children receiving services. I have a two-year-old, Kaya, and a one-year-old, Eli. Um, Kaya is receiving PT, OT, and feeding services. And then Eli is receiving PT and DT because honestly, he just could not care less about communicating. Not, not his thing. Um, and I love that I have the, both the personal experience and also the professional experience because you can relate to families in a completely different way. Yeah. You know, as a service coordinator, it's really easy to have so many kids on your caseload. And if we're not intentionally fighting it, they can just become names and dates on a to-do list. And right. so being able, uh, when you get that new referral to really take a step back and say, this is somebody's Eli, you get into your head that there are parents who just make these referrals because their kid's doctor told them to which may be the case, but that doesn't mean that those parents aren't really struggling. And again, 12 years in the early intervention field. And I'm like, how do I get my kid to interact with others? You know, right. He's so frustrated. He's becoming a little bully, honestly, <laughs> you know, because he doesn't know how to communicate. That's how he communicates. Um, and yes, he's a toddler and it's not atypical for them to get on each other's nerves and not have the best coping strategies, but still, you know, he's injuring kids at daycare. He's dinking out his sister's hair. We have a new little one coming in a few months and she's got to survive her brother. So um, it's a good reminder that when service coordinators have to uh, have these out of the world numbers, um, these are people, these are families that are really struggling. Right. What's one thing that you wish you knew at the start of your career working in early intervention about supporting the mental health of caregivers? That families in our program might have people around them, but that doesn't mean they have support. Right. So you can have in-laws who are even active in the grandkids' life, but they could be toxic. They may think their parents are overreacting. You know, you didn't talk to you were five. You're fine. Um, so we often equate as service coordinators numbers of supports people have with effective supports, but that's not the case. How do you think um, we can help and support parents to see the importance of taking care of themselves? One question I really wish that we all felt more comfortable asking families from the get-go would be, do you feel like you have enough help? And that might seem like a stark question that would put people off guard, but I can tell you as a mom of three kids in three years, like if somebody were to sit me down and say, do you feel supported? Do you feel like you have enough help? I'd say no. <laughs> and I'd right. probably even cry depending on the day. Mm -hmm. um, having a child under three is just survival mode anyway. And when you add an added stressor, like your child having a disability, especially if everybody in your life isn't on board with you receiving services. Um, and you know, as a service coordinator, it's hard to ask some of those questions because if they say no, like, what am I supposed to do about it? I can't stay and help you raise your children. You know, there is no resource out there that's going to give the family the support that their extended family would. But you are sometimes that one person outside of their realm that they can talk to, that one adult that they don't have to fight with. 
So I think that having frank conversations with families that are real and maybe a little messy that let them know it's okay to connect with you as a human being going through these experiences is a huge step forward for them to build that support outside of their realm of people who might not be the support that they need and to really just expand their village, so to speak. I think, you know, you're exactly right. But, and this too, as providers that work in early intervention or whether we're doing that provider role or we're doing the service coordination role, um, a lot of us weren't trained in anything regarding the right. mental health of caregivers. We were trained on how to work with children. And so now it's like many of us are playing catch up, especially now after COVID, where I feel like we're seeing a lot of families struggling um, or struggle during that time, continuing to struggle. Um, and so there just hasn't been a lot of training for service coordinators or providers. Right. 100%. And often we think, oh, well, they live with grandparents or right. they have, you know, access to preschools, but that's not necessarily the best thing for them. So talking about how, you know, we weren't really trained working in early childhood a lot about mental health. What are some great resources that you found um, along the way that you either share with families or have used yourself? And this one is hard. Because every place is so different when it comes to accessibility and even right. the existence of resources. But, you know, it sounds kind of counterproductive, but the best resource for families that I've found are families themselves. Mm. So I used to think that I had to be that one person who knew all the places where they were, who all the contacts are. But if you're responsible for a large area or even a populated area, things change, right. yeah. especially during COVID. Places shut down. And I found that it's completely appropriate to say, you know, I'm trying to make sure that I stay up to date on events and places in our areas. Have you heard of anything opening up or gone to any cool places? And, and sometimes depending on the family situation, I found out about new mental health services opening or even community centers with play places where they can just go let their kid run in without having to worry about cars or weather. And they can meet other parents if they want to make parent friends. Yeah. Um, if a parent has mental health needs, you think, you know, I need to get them access to therapy. Right. And which may or may not be the case or even an option for them. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can help them build outside of what they have, that's something they're longing for. Uh, our community center in town opened up a play center. It's $2 for a day pass. My two-year-old can get on and off everything by herself and just run around and get all her energy out. And if I wanted to, I could be social with other parents. And it's just, it's a brain break that we all need. Right. And I don't have to consistently follow her around, make sure she's not going to break an arm. Um, and I know we're lucky because not every community has that, but I think that there are things out there in the early intervention field that we don't necessarily think about being a resource or what the family needs. They might need therapy, but therapy isn't typically going to be every day or at that moment when they're at their wit's end. So what can they do? What can help in those moments? There might be something in your area that you're not familiar with because you're trying to be that one person who's the keeper of all resources. And that's an impossible job. You know, asking families what helps them in their every day has been extremely beneficial for other families in my area. I think that's one thing that kind of surprised me as a parent is I didn't realize how isolating it would be. Yeah. Um, and not only is it isolating, then you're dealing with this whole postpartum thing that we weren't taught about at all <laughs> until yes. you go through postpartum or are working with a lot of parents that are have gone postpartum or have just recently had children. You don't know what a struggle that is all to navigate, especially when there's not oftentimes a lot of support. Yes. So what advice would you give someone trying to support a parent who's struggling with stress and being able to regulate around their, ch their children? I would say to have grace with themselves. Mm -hmm. 
the other day, for instance, uh, my son, he pulls my daughter's hair. He thinks it's a game. Um, again, he's one, but he has a personality that when you're stern with him, he laughs. When you ignore it, he does it harder to try to get you to react. And some things you can't ignore, you know, or my daughter would have no hair. Um, so even with 12 years of early intervention experiences, I still find myself struggling with what to do and with my own emotions. You know, most parenting is trial and error. And what makes it tough is that what works for one child doesn't work for the other or even that same child next month. So to just help the parents know that they're not alone, you know, there are experts in this who are just as lost when it comes to raising their own children. And to be honest, you know, I yelled at Eli. I put him in timeout, even though he's only a year old and he has no idea what that means. And I did all the things that my training probably teaches me not to do because at the moment, nothing is working with this child. And you just need to know that you're not alone. You're part of this club of people who are given an impossible task of raising tiny people that have no logic. So afterwards, I sat Eli down and I apologized to him for losing my temper. And again, he's one. He has absolutely no idea what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to get into the habit of reminding myself that I also have irrational human feelings. Um, I'm expecting this one-year-old to not pull hair and I get frustrated by not being able to stop it. I judge my own parenting about that. And I go to, well, what's going to happen when he's an adult? And whoa, 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 you know, slow down, Chris. Right, right. It's easy to get on that train. <laughs> yes. And a lot of us are parenting different than how we were parenting. Yes. And so <laughs> we see stuff, uh, we hear about new things and we're trying to implement, we're trying to do the right thing, but then we're still children ourselves that maybe we, we weren't parented that way, or maybe we didn't learn how to regulate. Absolutely. And, you know, I told my son, you did wrong, but I also overreacted right. and I need to bring myself back into reality. But I also need to have grace with myself because mm -hmm. I'm just an ordinary person who's been given this huge task of teaching these kids lessons that need to be taught over and over and over again before they catch on. And that can be a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think um, parenting is um, I have worked in early intervention a couple of years before I had my own child. And I thought, I'm going to know what I'm doing from birth to three. Like that will be the easiest part for me. I'm going to struggle as a parent once they get over birth to three, because I don't have as much training in that. And it has been the complete opposite for me. Yeah. I have found yeah. birth to three to be the most challenging with my kids. Now they're four and seven and I find it getting so much easier. Now I'm just saying that today it could just be, you know, it could change again, but right now I'm feeling, um, just, as a parent of older children now, like that birth to three was a struggle. I didn't have a lot of support. I thought I knew what I was doing. I didn't. I made mistakes all the time. And, you know, realizing that you're human and accepting it is so important. Um, but I and just I always think, have that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it started even when I was pregnant. You know, mm -hmm. you have this idea. Oh, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to eat all right. the right foods. I'm going to drink exactly 80 ounces of water every single day. Right. And then reality hits and you start getting sick and you can't keep anything down. And then suddenly you're just so tired and what you thought you were going to be like is not what reality oh is. And it's just, it's an impossible thing. Yes. It'd be great if we could all eat healthy and do all these right. things, but you can't. And the, the same thing as when you're a parent, it would be wonderful if we could, all of us, you know, sit our kids down every day and do everything exactly correctly. But real life is a lot messier than that. Right. And, and I think I love that you brought it back to, to being pregnant because that's the start. And that's where we start putting these unrealistic expectations on ourselves. And, you know, I had read all the books. I was going to have this perfect birth. Yes. And that did not happen. <laughs> um, and then you go into parenthood and there's a, I almost think that's a struggle right now with parents is 
it's great that there's so much information out there, but then we start feeling that we're not up to par. We're not capable Mm -hmm. because we're not doing everything quote unquote, right. And I think as early intervention providers as well, we need to understand that we, we need to give families the okay to say, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And because I think a lot of times as a family member, you take their advice and you think, well, I'm doing exactly what my therapist is saying. And it's not working for this specific child in this specific circumstance, but they're the experts. So um, to be able to go back to have a relationship with your service coordinator or your provider and be able to say, you know what, I've tried this and it's not working without making it them. You feel like you're telling them they don't know how to do their job, I guess. So there's a lot of families I think are intimidated by that. So as a service coordinator, um, you know, you might get different calls from families that need various supports. What would be your advice actually to early intervention providers when they're going to a home weekly? What, what are some things that they could do to be more helpful for parents as far as mental health? I think the biggest thing that they could do is build that relationship with the family to be able to have the family actually communicate with you truthfully and honestly, um, without feeling like they're, I've, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Brian Regan, he's a comedian, but there's this one thing where he says, you know, going to the doctor is the only time as an adult that I feel like I'm still a child, you know, because they say, did you do what what we were supposed to do? I didn't No, I didn't, I didn't change anything about my life and and habits. What are you going to do? I'm going to do what you told me to do. You know, (laughs) when are you going to do it? I'm going to do it right now, you know? And even though I'm in early intervention and been a service coordinator, I sometimes lie to my therapist, you know, about, oh yeah, that totally did that last this past week um because you're kind of worried that you're gonna get in trouble in some kind of way you know and it's not about that it's about building trusting partnerships with families and to the point where they can easily say you know i tried this strategy and it's not working what else can we do Um, right and i feel like that's one thing i try to be careful with families is to not put a lot of pressure um my son was in early intervention for a while when he was little and i remember like I had worked in early intervention. I wasn't at the time. I was taking some time off. And uh, I remember her coming for the visits, telling me what to do. I absolutely knew how important follow through was. And I I just wouldn't. I yeah. had, well, and at the time I had, my son was two and a half. My daughter was a newborn and I was just, it was too much. And so to get that little homework, even though I, mm-hmm. I knew how important it was to do stuff and to follow through, I was not the perfect uh, student in that situation. I think if the follow through was as easy as we think it is, then all families would do it. Right. So um, my son, you know, had torticollis and plagiocephaly. And it was as simple as do these stretches every time you change a diaper. Mm -hmm. Okay. I I don't know how many times I actually did the stretches every time I changed a diaper because you get in the middle of something, you know, you, oh, I have this conference call I have to take or, oh, my other child's crying and I don't have time to do this. And um, life just gets in the way. Right. And often I think that it's easy for us to say, oh, this family is not carrying over these strategies, um, because they don't understand the importance of it, but they can understand the importance of it. Yes. And it, it's just life gets in the way. Exactly. I think that's one of the best things that we can be aware of as providers and service coordinators that every situation is unique. Yes. And, um, we need to, to adapt our way of providing services to make sure it fits the family and it works for them because yes. if it's not working. And then there's we need no to, point. We yeah. need to look and we need to find different ways to support. And I think that that's one thing, conversation that we can have from with the family is right from the get-go to just say, you know what, I have been trained in these evidence-based strategies, mm-hmm. but they're not going to necessarily be effective for your specific situation and your child. So if there's something that we're doing right. that is not working for you or that is 
too much for your situation at this point or however you want to word it, just let me know. And we can, you know, brainstorm different ideas because it's not a cookie cutter. One size fits all. time to reflect with the parent. Yes. At the end of every session, I think it's really important. And I don't do it every time, but I've been trying to be more, try to do it more lately because I do, I feel like um, if we don't reflect back and really get, you know, what's working for you, what didn't work today, what can I do better next time? You know, we just keep doing the same thing over and it's not supporting the parent. Well, I, th- I think sometimes we also have this fear of being open to our eyes with families. I think that um, we come in with our own biases about like, well, how would if I were to be asked this question, I would be offended or I would be this. Yeah. And you assume that other families would be the same way. And um, when in reality, family, it's no why you're there. And if we do our jobs well enough. Um, majority of families want to talk about their situations. They want to talk about what they're doing with their children, what's working, what's not working. Um, and want to talk about mental health, quite honestly. It surprised me how many of you families, you know, when I'm open with them right. about, do you need mental health services? Actually, that would be great, you know, or am mm-hmm. I, I don't need them for myself, but my older kid, you know, right. um, and you kind of think that families don't want to talk about it, but it's not true. If they're comfortable with you, if they realize why you're there, and if you have that relationship with them from the beginning, then they're welcoming of it. Building that relationship is so important. What's one myth you'd like to debunk about supporting mental health as someone working in early intervention? Actually, I that, think you just did it. That parents it, yeah. don't want to talk about it because we we tiptoe around it. I think. Yes. I know. And I think the other thing, too, is that as especially as service coordinators, we have this idea that we have to be able to fix it. You know, like it's our job if um, there, but in reality, there's some things you can't fix and you might be able to refer them to a fit therapy place, but maybe there's not going to be an opening for a year and a half, you know? Um, and you don't necessarily need to be able to fix their problems to be part of their solution. And sometimes just being present and being that one person that they can count on makes the difference. For sure. Thank you so much, Carissa, for joining me today on the podcast. And thank you all of those at home listening to the Early Childhood on the Go podcast. We hope to um, have you join us again next week. Thanks so much, Kayla. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood on the Go podcast from the Early Childhood Center team at Indiana University. Learn more at iidc.indiana.edu slash ecc.